Amen. If you would, please take your Bible out this morning and open it up to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you are more than welcome to use the Bible located right there in your pew. Or if you have an app on your phone, a Bible app, uh, you're more than welcome to uh, launch that app as well. Even if you have our church app, our church app has an onboard Bible, you can go ahead and um, open that up as well. However you get to it, just get to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, because we're continuing our series called Renewing Our Mind. And our focal passage is where Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. In other words, don't, don't let the world shape you. Don't let the world mold you. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we've been taking this passage of Scripture and we've been kind of just looking at it from different uh, perspectives and different angles. And what we need to understand is how powerful our thoughts really are. Uh, it's more than just things that we're thinking about. You know, our thoughts are very, very powerful. In fact, your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, whether you know that or not. Now, I know, and we talked about this when we uh, started the series, we talked about how much of our thinking is actually negative thoughts. Uh, like 80% of all the thoughts that we think about are negative uh, they're not productive, they're not positive, and uh, many of the thoughts that we think, regardless of whether they're positive or negative, are just repeating thoughts, and so uh, by default, we're just repeating negative thoughts over and over and over again. Now, science would have you to believe that if you want to change your thinking, well, you need to rewire your brain. In other words, you need to kind of just do a different configuration of, of, of your thoughts, and, and you can change uh, behaviors, or you can change habits in your life. However, God's Word teaches us that it's not about rewiring your brain, it's about renewing your mind. There's a big difference between the two. You see, science, the science method is, well, you have these old thoughts, and you can just reconfigure those old thoughts to think new thoughts. Well, the Bible teaches us that, that God gives us a new mind. And this new mind is the mind of Christ. And so it's not old minds just rewired. It's a new mind where we have a new capacity that we can think differently about our life. We can think uh, eternally uh, from God's perspective about our life and God's direction. It's different than just trying to rewire our brain. And so God gives us the mind of Christ. And that is so important for us to understand as believers. And I know so often we think of salvation as, you know, I have this ticket, I have my Jesus ticket, and when I die, I know where I'm going. When I die, I know I'm going to heaven because, you know, I placed my faith in Jesus and, and I, have, I have my Jesus ticket. I've got it in my wallet. I'm ready to go. But we understand salvation is more than just having a Jesus ticket. The Bible says that we've been born again, that we are a new creation. And so God gives us a new heart in which we can love him, 
He gives us a new mind in which we can know him. And so this mind of Christ is really important and powerful for us to know as believers because so often, we talked about this last uh, Sunday, there is a war that's going on in your mind and for your mind. There's a battle that's going on, and I believe probably, you know, I, I know each piece of the armor when Paul talks about the spiritual armor that God gives us because the spiritual warfare is real. It's not an imagination it's not something that is just fictitious or um, uh, mythical. Uh, it's, it's real. As believers, we are under a warfare, battle. And Paul says, you know what? God has given us his armor in which we can stand firm in, in Christ. We can stand firm in God. And Paul says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God. And he begins to list all these pieces, and one of, the, one of the pieces that he lists is the helmet of salvation and how important it is for us as believers because, you know, we all say, well, well we got our shield of faith. And so, you know, with our shield of faith, we can, we can quench uh, the, the fiery darts that Satan is launching at us. You know, we can put those out. We just hold up our shield of faith. Or we have our belt of truth, you know, I've got God's word wrapped around my waist and, you know, I'm good. Or, or you know, I've got the breastplate of righteousness and, and I, you know, I know that my righteousness is not of my own. It's the righteousness of Christ. I've been clothed with Christ. Or I've got the shoes of the gospel, you know, I am planted. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. But many times we fail to put on the helmet, we fail to put on this one article of clothing, and it's so important because I believe that's where Satan attacks the most, is right here in our minds. And he knows. He knows how powerful our thoughts are because, as I mentioned before, our thoughts are moving in the strongest direction of our thoughts. And so if he can get in there and he can begin to uh, speak lies... If he can get in there and discourage us, if he can get in there and, and, and have us to believe something other than what is true, well, then he is gaining. He's, he's winning uh, in our life. And so this morning, I want to talk to us about what is it uh, to have the mind of Christ? How, how, how can we think like Jesus? And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the, to the Christians in Corinth. And he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Paul says, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God des uh, destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, well, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, now notice what Paul says here. He says, as it is written, Paul is going to actually, he's quoting Old Testament here. He says, what, what no eye has seen, what no, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And so Paul is talking about these, these, this mystery of God, the wisdom of God. And, and the Old Testament says, listen, no eye has seen this, no ear has heard it, no, no mind can conceive it, all right? But Paul says, well, wait a second, 
we now can do this. We can now see with our eyes. We can now hear with our ears. We can now conceive with our minds the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us. How? How has God revealed these things which our eyes can now see and our ears can now hear and our minds can now understand? How? Thank you for asking. We can now understand by God's Spirit. So faith fact number one is that God has given us the mind of Christ. Faith fact number two is that God's Spirit is now in us and it's God's Spirit that reveals to us the things of God. You see, we couldn't understand that before. We couldn't understand that with the old mind. We couldn't, we couldn't know God. We couldn't know his ways with the old mind. It was at war with God. Our old mind was set to the flesh. Our old mind was set to our gratification. The old mind was, was at war with, with God. But God gives us a new mind. It doesn't rewire the old mind. Because what happens is sometimes even when you rewire the old mind, you still get short, short circuit, right? So God gives us a new mind where we can think differently about the things of God. I talked about this the first message, and I talked about the word repentance. How many of you are here that Sunday? It's interesting because the word repentance, we hear this word repentance and, and, and when, we tend to get a negative idea of this word repentance. We think every time we hear repentance, you know, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sin. And we tend to think of this, you know, kind of this guy wearing this sandwich board, you know, with the mega, mega horn standing out on the street corner, you know, turn or burn, repent, change your ways, change your direction. And we tend to think that repentance has something to do with our action, but it's not. It's not. The word repentance means to change our thoughts, to change how we think, because God knows if we change the way we think, that will then put in effect to change what we do. And so repentance means to change the way we think. Well, God has given us a new mind, and now we can think differently. We can think differently. How has he done this? Well, he's done this through his spirit. Is revealed us revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts, except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, Paul says, but the Spirit of God who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. Everyone say, understand. Oh, come on, a little better. Everybody say, under, say it like you mean it, right? Everybody say, understand. Right, so God has given us His Spirit so that we can now understand, right? So our, our thoughts are different. We can now understand the ways of God. We can understand the will of God. We can understand the plan of God. We can understand the purpose of God. We can understand all the things that God has freely given to us because we have this renewed mind. We have the mind of Christ. Paul says in verse 13, he says, uh, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. 
The person without the Spirit, guess what? Does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Verse 16 is where I want us to kind of land. Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Man, this is, this is awesome right here. What an incredible faith fact that we have the mind of Christ. Paul is talking to the believer. He's talking to the person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, more than just having a ticket to heaven, you have the mind of Christ. You're able to understand the thoughts of God. You're able to comprehend the things of God. Prior to that, man, you looked at that, and uh, just think about that. Prior to coming to Christ, you just looked at, looked at all these things, and you're like, that's stupid. Only a fool would believe that. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Now you come to Christ, and you now have the mind of Christ, and God has now showed you his wisdom, the mystery of his wisdom, and now our eyes are open, right? Now we can see with our eyes, we can hear with our ears, our minds can now comprehend the things that God has prepared for us because he loves us, amen? Listen to what the Bible says. Oh, actually, God's, God's goal for your life Let's talk about that for a second. God's goal for your life is to conform you into the image of Jesus. That's his goal for your life. Now, what that means is, is, is God, you know, not, not just like look like Jesus, like, you know, I'm going to grow my hair long and wear a robe and walk around in sandals and, and act like I lived in the 60s, all right? No, 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 not, not, not when, 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 when I say God wants to conform us into the image of Jesus, it's more than looking like Jesus. He wants us to act like Jesus. He wants, to, to be, uh, he wants us to be his representation here on planet Earth, all right? And so, now, now the, to answer the question, well, well, how does Jesus act? Remember, remember, there used to be something popular called WWJD. Remember that? Everybody wore the bracelets. Everybody had the bumper sticker. You know, what would Jesus do? That was kind of the saying, you know, everybody, before you would do something, you'd always say, yeah, well, hey, what would Jesus do? And it was always focused on the action, right? We want to, we you know, we want to do the things that Jesus did, Right? We want to you know, kind of you know, do the same things, being conformed to his image. But, but again, go one step, step back one step. Before we can do the things that Jesus did, we need to think the way that Jesus thought. Do you get that? Before we can do the things that Jesus did, we need to first think the thoughts that Jesus thought. All right? Listen to what the Bible says. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Now, your Bible might say have the same mind as Christ. Right? Uh, King James Version uses that. The New King James Version also uses that. But mindset, I like how the New Century uh, Version translates it. It says, in your lives, you must think and act like Jesus. 
Now, that's impo- that, this, this is God's will for your life. It's God's will for my life as he's conforming us into the image of Christ. He wants us to think and act like Jesus. This is all part of having the mind of Christ. Well, we now have to ask a couple questions. First question we have to ask is, well, is, is that really possible? I mean, can we really think like Jesus thought? Yes. Well, Mike, how do you get to this conclusion that we can actually think just like Jesus thought? I go back to the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was in Christ is the same Spirit that's in you. And the Spirit who searches the deep things of God brings to us and reveals those things to us so that we can know what God is thinking. We can know what Christ, how Christ would think about certain stuff. And so, yes, it is, it is possible for us, not on our own. Or don't, make, don't, don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not talking about you know, willpower. I'm not talking about you know, self-help. I'm talking about spirit surrendered. Right? I'm talking about spirit help, that only the Holy Spirit can help us think like Jesus thought. You're not going to be able to think like Jesus thought without the aid of the Holy Spirit. You're just not going to be able to do it. Then the next question we need to ask, well, then, is, is how? How, then, did Jesus think? You know, as I was studying for this, I, I came up with a bunch of different ways that Jesus thought. And I thought, you know, our time is limited, and I don't want to keep us here till you know, 2 or 3 p.m. this afternoon. And so I just want to kind of give you three, all right? Three, three that I just kept coming back to over the, over the week. And I thought, you know what, these, these, these three right here, this is what I'm going to serve uh, for, for, for our food today, all right? So how did Jesus think? First thing I want you to know is we need to know who God says we are. We need to know who God says we are. You see, our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is in Christ. And so we need to know who we are in Christ. And we need to filter our thoughts through this reality. As we filter our thoughts through our identity in Christ. None of this, the reason why I say that is, is Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. He had no doubt whatsoever as to who he was. In fact, it was other people who questioned uh, his identity. They didn't know who, they were confused. Who are you? In fact, Jesus even asked his disciples one day, they were sitting around, and he said, just out of curiosity, who do men say that I am? If you remember, they, they started to say, well, well some, some people think you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say, and then Jesus, oh, forget that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter piped up, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So other people were confused as to the identity of Christ, but Jesus never was. Jesus didn't walk around saying, I wonder who I am. Maybe I'm this. Maybe I'm that. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. No, Jesus was never, ever confused as to who he was. He knew exactly. In fact, 18 times in the New Testament, Jesus defines who he is. I just want to give you a few, all right? It's just a few. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He doesn't say, I I think, I think I'm the bread of life. No, he says, I am the bread of life. 
John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now I would encourage you, all right, to, to, to take these verses and go back because, you know, Jesus says this. He says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, listen, who, this is who I am. You may be confused as to my identity, but Jesus wasn't. He knew who he was. He says in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Mark chapter 10, verses 61 through 62, Jesus says, I am the Son of God. That's just, that's just a few. That's just a few. Out of the 18 declarations of who Christ is, that's just a few. All right? Jesus had no, no doubt about his identity. Now, here, here's, here's what I want to share. God wants you to know your identity in Christ. He wants you to know who you are in Christ. Now, only the Creator can tell you. Right? Only the creator can tell you who you are because he created you, right? God created you. Only God can tell you who you are because he created, he formed you, he fashioned you, he made you. You did not make yourself. Other people didn't make you. They have no right to define for you who you are. That spot is only reserved to God. God created you. He has the right to declare your identity, who you are. Only God made you. Now here's why this is, is so important. If we don't understand this, we don't understand our identity, if we don't seek our identity in Christ, we're going to fall in, in, in one of two traps. All right? This is so, this is so important that we, we establish our, our foundation, who we are, and our identity in Christ, because if not, we're going to fall in one of two traps. One trap is, is other people will, will mold you into what, what, what they want you to become. They will fashion you. They will shape you, all right? You know, they, 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 they will say, well, I, I think you should be this. I think you should do this. I think, you know, I think that they'll, they'll, you know, they, they set these expectations for you. That's really what they're doing. They're saying, hey, here's the expectations, and I want you to conform to my standard. In fact, I never read in the Bible where Jesus is sitting there and Joseph and Mary have this conversation and they sit down with young Jesus and they say, Jesus, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, there, 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 there's no conversation. And so other people, listen, if you do not establish your identity in Christ, if you don't solidify this as, as a foundation for your life, a filter for your thoughts, other people will shape your life. And you'll be living your life to please them. You'll be living your life for their approval. You'll be living their, your life to meet their expectation and their standards. And guess what? It's a trap. It's a trap. You're going to be very miserable. Very miserable. You study the life of Jesus. He didn't live his life to please others. He lived his life to please the Father. He knew who he was. 
so other people will force you into their mold. The second trap that I believe you'll fall into, if, if this isn't important, solidifying your identity in Christ, the other, the other trap is that you'll go around in life pretending to be somebody you're not. Your identity will be in other things. Your identity might be in the car you drive. You know, hey, man, I got a cool car. I've got a lot of chrome on it. I put a lot of money into it. You know, I've got, I've got everything in it. Man, it's a smart car. It's got everything. It's, it, it costs me a lot of money, and that's who I am. It's, it's, it's my, my identity, my worth is based upon what I drive. And the sad part is, is as soon as you drive it off the, 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 the lot, it depreciated in value. Or wait a second, you may have your value, your, 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 your identity in the house you live in, or the job you have, or your bank account, your retirement plan, whatever it is, your identity will be in something other than Christ, and you're going to go through life pretending to be something that you're just not. And that's called phony. And a lot of people, unfortunately, they're confused as to who they are. I think, well, maybe I'm this. The world tells me this. Maybe I'm that. I'm confused as to who I am. Maybe my value is in what I drive. Maybe my value is in my bank account. Maybe my value is in my job. Maybe that's where I find my worth. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, man, you're, you're going to live a very miserable life. When we start to understand that our value is in who we are in Christ, our worth is in who we are in Christ, our life is who we are in Christ. As Paul says, it's, it's in Christ that we live and move and have our being. And so we need to understand that. Our identity is what? In Christ. We don't need the others. We don't need others to validate us. And so we need to know who God says we are. Another thing I want you to write down. Is we need to know God's purpose for our life. We need to know who we are because God created us. But we also need to know why. Why did God create it? We need to know our purpose. And again, this is another filter in which if we're going to think like Christ, we need, to, we need to think as Christ thought. And Jesus knew his purpose for life. He knew exactly what he was called to do. He didn't need other people telling him, well, I think you should go this way. I think you should do this. I think that, no, he knew without a shadow of a doubt his purpose. In fact, if you remember, even at a young age, at the age of 12, if you remember uh, Jesus and Mary and uh, Joseph, um, th they went to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover, and they, they, they participated, well, they left, and they get about halfway home, and Mary's looking to Joseph, I mean, yeah, Mary's looking to Joseph, and Joseph's looking to Mary, and they're like, boy, it sure is awful quiet in the, in the buggy here. Um, did we forget something? Well, no, oh, where's Jesus? It's amazing. They lost Jesus, right? So, so what they, they, they made a U-turn, right? They, they made their way back to the temple, and lo and behold, they found Jesus, and you know what he was doing? Even at the age of 12, 
He takes the scrolls, he opens it up to Isaiah, and he begins to teach the elders. All right? Well, remember, remember now, now his parents come in and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus says, don't you know I am to be about my father's business? That's at the age of 12. So Jesus knew his purpose. He knew God's plan. Having the mind of Christ is knowing your purpose. Knowing why God created you. Let me give you some verses here. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 14, he says, For I know where I come, and I know where I'm going. Now, let's pause right here. Can that be said true of you? Do you know where you come, and do you know where you're going? Do you know the purpose that God has for your life? Again, if we're going to think about, if we're going to think, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, and we're going to think the way Jesus thought, all right, well, he, he knew who he was. He, he, didn't, he, he wasn't confused as to his identity. But he also, he knew the plan. He knew what God had called him to do. And he was unwavering in that. In fact, let me give you another verse. John 10, 10. Jesus says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. He knew his purpose. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He knew his purpose. He didn't have to wonder. He didn't have to wander. He knew. He knew what his purpose was. John chapter 12, verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Now, the context of this verse is that Jesus is praying. This was right after uh, the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and though Jesus is now praying, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And he's like, you know what, you know, save me from this hour. And then Jesus says, no, no, it was for this hour I came. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew why he came to this earth. And he stayed the course. He fulfilled his purpose as to coming to this earth. If we're going to think like Christ, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we need to know who we are in Christ. And I love this. And let me just kind of back up real quick because I just thought it just came to my mind, all right? Because, you know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's living in you. Think about that for a second. That's who we are in Christ. We're, we're, we're not, you know, we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power living in us, the same spirit living in us. All right? He knew his purpose. Now, here's the application. If I am secure in God's purpose for my life, if I know God's purpose, and that's my thoughts are focused on God's plan for my life, I'm not going to be concerned about my own will or your own will, but God's will. I'm going to be more concerned about doing God's will than I will be my own will. In fact, if you remember, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. That's the mind of Christ. If we're going to think like Jesus, that, that should be in the forefront of our thoughts. It's not my will, 
It's God's will. That's how Christ thought. Another thing I want you to write down real quick. We're to have the mind of Christ. We need to be willing to sacrifice for others. Know who we are in Christ. Know, our, know, know why God created us. Know our value in Christ. Know God's plan, God's purpose for your life. But then also know that we need to be willing to sacrifice for others. Because if we're going to act and think like Jesus, well, let me ask this question. Did Jesus sacrifice for others? Absolutely. In fact, the Christian life can really be summarized as a life of sacrifice. So let me ask this question. If Jesus sacrificed for others, and we're trying to be like Jesus, we're trying to think like Jesus, and we're trying to act like Jesus, is it not also true that we too should also sacrifice for others? Yes. If Jesus did it, and we just ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? Yes. We'll be willing to sacrifice for others. Listen to John chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep knows me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so this is, this is what Jesus is thinking. This is the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not that, that, that we are self-serving, but that we are self-sacrificing, and that we are serving others, not serving ourselves, laying down our life. There's another thought that Jesus has. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's an incredible verse. Again, if we're to have the mind of Christ, if we're to think like Christ and do like Christ did, right? this is one of these verses right here where Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now, this kind of kind of slams into the face of American Christianity, right? Because in, in most Americanized churches, we have this idea that, that, that you know, people come and we need to, uh, you know, this consumer mentality that, that, that we're here to be served and not to serve. Well, if, if, let me ask this question. What would the church look like if every person, every member of the church, all right, when I say member, I'm talking about the believer. I'm talking about the person who's placed their faith in Jesus, where their mindset, their attitude, their thoughts, their actions were more like Christ and the area of servanthood. Think about that. Where, where we look at serving one another, not as a duty, but as a delight. Because we know that as we serve, we're, we're serving to be more like Jesus. We're serving because Christ served. And here's Jesus, and he says, listen, I didn't come so that you would serve me. I came so that I can serve you. That was the mentality of Christ. We're not consumers, but we're contributors. Listen to what, Jesus, or listen to what John says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 
He says, this is how we know what love is. I love it. John's going to say this. this you want to know what love is? Because I know love, you know, the, the word is, you know, just it, it, cheap. It's no value there. We say, oh, I love you. Really, do you love me? Well, John says, listen, do you really want to know what love is? Here it is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so John says, this is what love is. Love is about sacrificing. Love is about laying down your life for others. If we're to have the mind of Christ, if we're to think like Christ and not just, you know, well, also thinking first and then doing, well, then our life will be a life marked by sacrificing, by laying down our will, our desires, our ambitions, all of that, uh, our, our preferences, uh, so that God is glorified and we can serve one another. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I want to. I want you to see this. Probably one of the. Well, I think all of God's word is, is, is great. It's kind of hard to say, well, this is the greatest you know, passage of scripture. It, it, it's definitely one of my favorites, you know, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I love it. Um, Paul is writing to the Christians in Philippi. And he says in verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the mind set as Christ Jesus. Let me kind of give you a little background. Uh, there were two ladies in the church who were at odds with each other. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they were at odds about. You know, I, I like to think that maybe they just kind of got upset. They were at a potluck, and maybe both of them brought the same casserole. I don't know. I don't know what, what was going on, but two ladies in the church were, were not in unity. They, 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 were, they were fighting each other, okay? And so Paul writes this letter, and part of his admonition to the church is that these two come together. And out of this, Paul says, listen, we should have the same mindset. We should have the same mind as Christ had. And Paul is going to lay down what, what, what this mindset looks like, all right? How did, how did Christ think? How, how, how did he, what was his attitude, right? Says we should have the same mindset. Verse six: Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus didn't go around saying, "I'm God. You better listen to me. You don't know who you're messing with. I could call ten thousand angels and zap you right now. I could do it. Don't, don't, don't make me mad." God, Jesus didn't go around saying, "Listen, I, I'm, I, men, God, we're, we're, we're the same." He didn't elevate himself and exalt himself. He didn't use this title as an advantage for him. This is important. He could have. Oh, he could have, but he chose not to. In fact, verse 7, he says, Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking, by taking the very nature of a what? A servant. God could have said, listen, Jesus could have said, listen, I'm God, you better serve me. You don't know who you're talking to, I'm God. He, he could have. But no, he put on flesh, took the form of a servant, coming in the nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of human, or human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he does what? He humbled himself. He didn't exalt himself. This is the mind of Christ. This is the attitude of Christ. This is the thinking of Christ, all right? 
He didn't go around saying, boasting, saying, I'm God, you better worship me. No, he humbled himself. He became his God. Think about that for a second. God served us. Well, see, if you study world religion, it's kind of flipped. World religion is you work for God, you serve God, you, you, you do all these things for God. But Christianity, God flips the script and it's God serving us. It's God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, because Jesus does this, Jesus humbled himself. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Think about that for a second. Jesus' name is above every other name. Jesus' name is greater than any other name. It's greater. It's greater than cancer. It's greater than unemployment. It's greater than politics. It's, it's greater. It's greater. It, his name is greater than any other name. His name is higher than any other name. And God has given him this title, this, this name that's above every other name. And why is that? Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this is, the, this is the mind of Christ here. He humbled himself. He became obedient. He, he was a servant, right? God, it was God that exalted him. It was God that gave him the name that's above every name. And I love this, this last part because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I want to pause. This isn't in my note. This is a little extra, right? It's a little extra. Uh, everybody say Extra. All right, this is a little extra right here because, you know, many times, you know, long, long time ago, you know, I, 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 I try my best not to do this even when I'm sharing Christ or sharing the plan of evangelism and how or the plan of salvation. And, and, and I mean, long time ago, maybe you've heard this. Somebody says, you know, how would you like to make Jesus your Lord? How would you like to make Jesus Lord? Now, I, I'm, I'm very methodical and very analytical we don't make jesus lord y'all know that right y'all stole my, stole my thunder he is lord you don't make him lord and this verse right here really declares it because every tongue acknowledges that jesus christ is lord every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge everybody say acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. What that means is we will, we will agree with God, right? We will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. He is Lord whether you think so or not. Whether you believe so or not. Whether you act so or like. That doesn't change the fact. It doesn't negate the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. But God has exalted him. And whether, whether, you know, I remember a long, long time ago, long, long time ago, um, and I, I don't even believe that he is anymore. I, I, I probably believe he's more of a believer now, but long, we're talking, I, was, I was probably early 20s, and we had Thanksgiving at my mom's house, and uh, kind of give you a little, little idea of the setting around the table. There's, there's my mom who's a believer, 
Um, there's my sister, who's a backslidden believer, right? There's my brother, him too, kind of backslidden, you know. There's me. I'm, I'm, in, I'm on fire for Jesus, man. God has just gotten a hold of my life and just felt called towards, you know, wherever I could serve in the church. And so here we are for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, my brother-in-law. This is where I was going with the whole story. My brother-in-law, who is an agnostic, all right? If you know what an agnostic is, maybe there is a God, maybe there's not. A, he's not an atheist, right? Uh, but just this agnostic, well, maybe there is a God, maybe there's not a God. I don't know. We will never know. Whatever, you know, case sera, whatever we will be. And I remember us having a discussion at Thanksgiving, you know, and I don't know how we get there, but we do, you know, the two things you should never talk about at Thanksgiving, what? Politics and religion. Well, guess what? We went there. We went to the religion section. And, and so, you know, my brother-in-law, he's piping in and, 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 you know, with his agnostic thoughts and, well, you know, may, maybe there is a God, maybe not, I don't know, just going to, you know, live life. And I remember him saying, well, you know, this is hell. He couldn't imagine life getting any worse than, than what it is right now. And I said, oh, no, boy, it's going to get a lot worse. This isn't hell, all right? This may be, life may be difficult, but it's not hell, all right? Uh, and so we got in this whole conversation, and I said, listen, you may not right now bow your knee to Jesus. Never, never end a Thanksgiving dinner like this, by the way. <laughs> this is not how to win friends and influence people, Bill, <laughs> all right? This is not how to, you know, because I got to admit, when I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah, I scored one for Jesus, (laughs) you know. Well, I got a good one for Jesus. Well, I really knocked that out of the park for Jesus. And and looking back now, right now, I think, oh, my goodness, I probably, you know, put a sour taste in in my brother-in-law's mouth over Jesus because I just remember being really cocky and arrogant and saying, listen, if you, you may not bow your knee right now. And you may not confess Jesus Christ is your Lord right now, but you listen, one day you will. One day you're going to bow your knee, and one day you're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I remember I, I, I won the argument with that. You know what I'm thinking? Really? Did I win the argument? Probably not. Never been invited to Thanksgiving dinner again after that. <laughs> Which that could be good or bad, I don't know. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, is um, there's coming a time where every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And the truth of the matter is God wants you to change your thinking now. That's what repentance means. It means to think, change the way you think. And he wants you to change the way you think about Christ. He wants you to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed.